Welcome to Watershed's April podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove. I'm the head of programme here at Watershed. And for this podcast, I'm joined by exec producer Chris Mall, who's looking after the Eye Features filmmaking scheme for Southwest Scream. Welcome, Chris. Hello, Mark. Just tell us a bit about what Eye Features is. Eye Features uh, was set up at the end of last year. For a while, Southwest Screen and myself and various other people had thought that we had a problem, particularly in Bristol, around feature filmmaking, in that many other cities in the UK had had films that had really sort of defined their cities on the big screen. You, can, you know them as well as I do. Newcastle, Get Carter, Edinburgh, Trainspotting, those sorts of things. And we felt that actually it was about time that Bristol had a film or a number of films that tried to do that. And at the same time, I think the city was experiencing quite a sort of uplift in terms of new talent. We were sort of winning BAFTAs, not only at Ardman, who we expect to sort of win BAFTAs, but also people like Esther May Campbell, and this year also um, Arthur Cox, Sally Arthurs and, and Emma Lazenby. So I think there was a sense that actually we had this sort of groundswell of talent, all of whom had come up through short films, some through television, and actually wanted to sort of move into features. So that collision of those two things, wanting to get some feature films that really captured the essence of the city and some new talent that was looking to move into features sort of gave us the idea for our features, putting those two elements together. So we launched it at the end of last year. I think it was in October, November. It was an open call. We invited people to make submissions to make a £300,000 movie. Not a lot of money, but given today that actually uh, all the budgets for movies, particularly British movies, seem to be coming down, it isn't impossible. Mm. And it followed on from a scheme that I did previously in Liverpool called Digital Departures, which I did in 2008 as part of Capital of Culture. And that generated three films, one of which, the most, I suppose, the most successful, famous so far as Terence Davis' Time in the mm. City, but also Salvage that actually came out last week and Kicks, which is out just before the World Cup. So we sort of proved that we could do it in one city. So we decided to bring it to my hometown because I've lived here for 25 years and do it here. We had 550 submissions from all across, not just the city and the region, but the UK because we wanted to run it as a national scheme because it wasn't just about promoting our talent. It was also about bringing the best talent to the city because I genuinely think you need that porous approach. 550, we had to whittle that down to 12 which was an arduous job. Was it scripts that you had been submitted with? No, we, we asked people just for ideas, a sort of four-pager. So we tried to make it not sort of too onerous for people. And we were interested in teams. We were interested in writer, producer, director teams. I suppose that was the other key element. It wasn't just about a sort of single auteur. It was actually having a team around that actually sort of collaborated. So we took 500, we found 12, and at the end of January, we started a process of development with those 12 teams, which took them from that outline to a full treatment, as well as other materials some ideas around casting maybe, some outline budgets, so we made sure that they could do it for the money that was on offer. And as of last week, we had to reduce that again down to six. Mm. So we now have six teams that we're taking into what we call full development, mm. which is scripting. And in three months' time, we'll have to make some decisions of which of those three we put into production over the summer. And in that process, they were writing blogs and yeah. stuff online. Wait, yeah, wait. I mean, we, we, we were very keen to sort of make sure that we got a much profile and sort of general sort of impact in a broader community. So we set up the iFeatures website, www.ifeatures.co.uk, and we wanted all of the teams to blog weekly, uh, which they did very kindly. I think sometimes filmmakers are a bit sort of funny about that. Well, it's a bit, it's nimble, not a bit nerve-wracking Exactly. For them. Well, yeah. in a way, that was part of the deal. Yeah. So they did some very entertaining, just fantastically entertaining blogs about that process because it was very intensive, six weeks to mm. get from a, just an idea really to, mm. to 10, 12 pages. It's, it's very hard. So they came up with some fantastic insights. And we really wanted 
it not just to be about the 12 or the 6, but to be about the broader filmmaking community. Mm -hmm. Because having got all of that engagement, 550 submissions, mm. you don't want to suddenly just drop those. Mm. You want that momentum to sort of carry on, because really, we're not just about making three films at the end of it. We're about hopefully making six or nine and yeah. you know people not just within the scheme but outside of the scheme. so some of the ideas of those 500 or so will maybe go on and be made elsewhere or yeah i hope so i think like anything it's a really tough business out mm -hmm. there at the moment yeah. i mean you know this sure. particularly if you're really a first or a second time filmmaker uh, it's a very risk averse uh, landscape mm -hmm. but i think you know there is a sense at the moment that you don't have to rely necessarily on the existing gatekeepers you don't necessarily have to rely on the existing distribution models mm -hmm. you have to look at different ways of getting stuff out there and as long as you've got something that's distinctive and of course is backed by talent i see no reason why you should take no for an answer you know you shouldn't determine what you do by people who just say no you mm. just keep plugging away and of course i mean what you demonstrated in liverpool was that because it was a smaller budget than you've got yes uh, it was it was a 50 grand less i think 250 grand. yeah i mean that it is possible Oh, yeah, I think it, it is. On smaller amounts of money, with the, the I, technology yeah. and, and... I think the skills. problem that bedevils sort of micro-budget filmmaking, as it's called, is often the fact, the perception that it's not very good. And mm. to be honest with you, probably a lot of it isn't very good. Mm. So we were very keen, and this is the reason we sort of set the scheme up, was to provide what I would call a framework of support around people. Mm -hmm. So you'd sort of raise the bar a bit, raise the bar in, of excellence in a way, but not in a way that's there to sort of tell them how to do it, because I think nobody really knows how to do it at that budget level. You make it up as you go along, mm -hmm. and everyone has a different solution. So I'm very keen on this idea that you support people, but you don't assimilate them, mm -hmm. because I don't want a sort of generic processed feel to those films. Mm -hmm. They have to feel that they're owned by the creators and that they have a distinctive voice. Mm -hmm. You know, from my point of view as an exhibitor and, you know, showing whole range of films and actually we did a season of films to sort of tie in with eye features yeah. around films that have been made on small budgets um, that have gone on to be either critically successful or financially or both mm. it struck me with looking at films like you know Easy Rider yeah. El Mariachi uh, Blair Witch yeah. was that you know, it is really possible to make very distinctive films and also to reap critical and financial reward. I mean, I think that, you know, once you get a film finished, you're putting it in front of critics or you're putting it in front of distributors, you're putting it in front of an audience, which is the key thing. It's, I don't think people actually care about budgets. They don't care. No, I mean, the, know, audience, the, other, the audience has They care whether thinking. the film is going to yeah. do it for them, yeah. whether whatever they're seeking, be, to be entertained, to be yeah. preached at, whatever it is. Mm. But I think that sort of melts away, and I think people get a lot very hung up on that a lot of the time. You know, mm. the most obvious example at the moment of that is Paranormal Express, which is, you know, is a wobbly cam, whatever, and people don't care. As long as the film delivers for them emotionally, mm. that's it. And that's the constant refrain we sort of tell our filmmakers. But I think there is an issue sometimes within the market, because obviously the market is slightly different from the audience, because obviously you have this sort of distributors mm -hmm. wave, it's the sort of aggregators, if you like. And I think sometimes there is a perception of micro-budget there, actually, that they think it's going to be cheap production values or it's not going to have a star. So I think if you get lucky, you may get one of those, but you're probably not. The odds are against it. The only thing you have going for you at a micro-budget level is the originality of your story and the originality of your execution. Mm. So that's the key thing you have to sort of major in because that's the thing that will allow you to compete. There is no point in trying to do a pale copy of a movie that really should be made for a lot more money. Mm -hmm. You have to find a different approach. Just going back to the submission process, one of the things I do is um, select the programme for Encounters Short Film Festival. Yeah. And when you get all those submissions of short films, it's really <coughs> interesting because you begin to see themes em <laughs> yes. emerging. Uh, you know, some of the themes that, that came through in Encounters last year was kind of ageing, yeah. um, forced migration, yeah. um, slavery. 
and I just wondered what sort of themes, where, where the themes that you could sort of begin to see kind of coming through well, in those uh, submissions? I, I think there's an intriguing one. I mean, um, I think we lost count of the number of films that had the villain was a drug dealer. Drugs, in some shape or form, mm. permeated a lot of the sort of narratives mm. that we received. I suppose it's almost become default in a sort of urban environment that yeah. that's the big amount, that's the sort of milieu. Yeah. We saw an awful lot of, how best I can describe it, an awful lot of uh, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead has somehow sort of burned an impression on the sort of the film I mean, it was, community. It was, it, it, Zombies it, it, it was and comedy. It was definitely Tarantino in Reservoir Dogs <laughs> sort of a couple of de- decades back, so it's now Shaun of the Dead. Is Shaun the, of the Dead. Yeah. Um, inevitably, if you sort of set it, and we obviously set the parameters that the film had to sort of have some connection to the city... It does give you a revealing insight into not only internally how people look at the city, but externally. And you do, I'm sad to say, still get the sort of people trotting out what you would call the cliches. Mm. So you still get a bit of West Country in there, you know, with bad accents. You still get a bit of pirates in there and so on and so forth, which is sort of disheartening. But I do think that actually there was an interesting vein of greener issues, because I think there is a perception of the city as being capital of that. Mm. And also, hearteningly, there was quite a lot of stories that had an overt... I suppose, multicultural element to it or dealt with issues around that, both yeah. good and bad. And again, I think that was an interesting perception of the city. Genre still is very high and stuff. And of course, you know, the, the classic thing with any sort of British uh, scheme is you still get a lot of social realism, I'm yeah. afraid. People, I suppose, who want to be pitching their story or themselves as the next Andrea Arnold. Which is interesting because I sort of my approach to that is well we've got an Andrew Arnold why do we need another one is that sort of thing uh, uh, yeah, exactly yeah. yeah and much as I love sort of social realism and I think there is a sort of hidden streak of us which maybe it's that British thing of wanting to sort of beat yourself yeah um, and Ken Loach does it brilliantly and Ken Loach does it brilliantly and certain people do do it brilliantly yeah. and Alan Clark did it brilliantly yeah. but it it does worry you a bit because I think that there is a sense that actually with some of that there is a disconnection with the audience mm. because I think there is a sense of actually okay is that necessarily what an audience is going to want to see and actually is he going to get to that audience I'm just interested in that um, in terms of filmmakers finding a voice because when you see that kind of use of genre or people want to make Andrew Arnold's been successful so kind of mm. making Andrew is that a lack of confidence in their own voice and in a way how do filmmakers um, whenever you're looking to sort of support somebody you not only look at the idea but you look at also the reel of work because we obviously positioned our features as not a, a brand new first time of scheme it was for people who already had some track record mm. And when we look to the reels, of course, the most potent voices that come through are the ones where, if you're looking at their short films or even if you're looking at their television work or whatever, you can see that voice coming through. I mean, again, I think if you go back to Andrea, you can see in her short films exactly where that voice was developing Mm -hmm. into her features. Mm -hmm. And I think you're always looking for that. I think people are often fond of saying this short film is a calling card. To me... That's a sort of misnomer. I think what I look for in a short film is really is a development of a voice. Yeah. You know, something that that film has got something to say. And obviously you can see it then developing that voice and you can see a natural progression then into features. The confidence thing is just an interesting thing. I think it's just that there's a natural tendency in the film industry that, you know, who's successful at the moment and you sort of model yourself Mm -hmm. on that person. Of course, the problem is that the film industry... In some respects, Hollywood has existed on sort of, you know, ripping itself off. But there's a sense within the British industry, particularly if it's going to be publicly sector funding, they want something new. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you need to be the next big thing, not the previous big thing. We're here at the beginning of April. Where are the six groups have gone through? Well, the six, as I say, they're, they're a very eclectic bunch and we wanted that to be true. 
I mean, what's really pleasing is we have a range of genres. We have a very interesting supernatural horror in there from a Bristol-based writer, uh, Lucy Catherine, who has came up through the old Vic and then has done quite a lot of TV work for things like Being Human. She's paired with a really interesting video music director called Al Siddons, who did this fantastic full-length documentary called Turn It Loose, about a bebop competition in South Africa. I mean, he's fantastic. It's a great team. We've got Novikov B, which is a sort of almost a B-movie sci-fi thriller set in the sort of Bristol of the near future, where drugs are now all legal, so it's very topical. Mm. We sort of particularly like that. I mean, it's got a lot of energy. and We were sort of intrigued, I think, about the idea of a futuristic Bristol, not just a sort of present one. We've got a family film in there. I think, Well, they might call it a family film. It's a comedy, which is called The Bristol Job, which is a sort of riff on the Italian job. We have Our Own Shadows, which I suppose is a sort of more psychological drama from Connor McCormack. Again, a Bristol-based young filmmaker who did a great short called Christmas with Dad. Yeah, we screened that. that So he's moving into drama rather like Al. Uh, we've got Flying Blind, which is uh, a love story set in and around sort of Filton and Aerospace, which is written by a writer called Caroline Harrington, again, Bristol-based, who has been very successful in terms of being an Archer's writer and recently did the adaptation on Radio 4 of Hilary Mantel's uh, Beyond Black. Uh-huh. She's paired with a Polish director whose film I think you screened in Encounters called Hanoi Warsaw. Yes, we did. It was fantastic how that came about because Alison That's Sterling, right, the, producer. the producer, was looking for you know, uh, sort of director, directors yeah. during Encounters and um, was looking at the films with that view in mind and saw Hanoi Warsaw and uh, I mean, I think I should, she responded in the way that I responded to when I was watching it. It was just, you just felt he was a really confident, distinctive yeah. director who was dealing with, you know, really topical subject matter and just telling it in a brilliant way. So the fact that that team then got together... No, I think it's just, fantastic. And also, because she's Polish, I think the thing of her coming and making a film, which is actually, you know, very, very sort of deeply set into the city mm. and having that outsider's perspective on the city yeah. is really intriguing. I mean, yeah. we had a similar view with Digital Departures when... Um, Eduardo Gra, who recently shot the um, Tom Ford movie, A Single Man, came and shot Kicks in Liverpool. And again, he shot that film, or he shot the city, in a way that you had never seen before. Yeah. So I'm sort of very intrigued by that mm-hmm. one. We have Eight Minutes Idol, which is a comedy uh, set in the last call centre in Britain, which is um, being put together by Arthur Cox, who we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. just picked up a BAFTA for their animation work. We were very intrigued by the idea of taking somebody who had a very comic sensibility in animation into live-action features. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, in a way, we haven't had a distinctive comedy movement, but something out of the city. I mean, the same way that some people say, oh, you know, the northern comedy scene or whatever. Mm. There's no sort of sense of the southwest comedy scene. And I think, you know, the comedy scene we have here, in terms of, particularly in terms of film, it tends to be an animation. Mm. You know, Aardman mm. is the most obvious. Well, but they're comedies. There's a, there's, there's a lot of really great comedies. <laughs> there's comedy, yes. but it's in animation. Yes. So there's an intriguing thing of maybe taking that to live action. Mm. So I think we were looking for that. So it's a really broad spread of talent. I mean, we were very pleased because I think it's a gender split, half male, half female. Mm. So that's really good because it gives it, uh, I, think, I think, you know, off Often female voices don't come through in schemes like this because they tend to be very male-dominated, so we're very keen about that. And what happens really is they now have a 12-week period to nail the script, Mm -hmm. Um, so we're very excited. They'll start delivering drafts probably in about four weeks' time. And at the same time, they're doing a lot more work around casting, a lot more work around locations in the city, um, all of those things. So really, filmmaking, I think, is always about momentum. 
you have to create a momentum in the project. Obviously, you need a good story and a good script at the heart of it, but you have to create a momentum that almost sort of is like pushing a ball up the hill, and when it gets to the apex, there'll come a point where it will just start rolling down yeah. the other side. And that's what I sort of say to them. I say, over the next 12 weeks, you just have to create a momentum for your film so the thing almost by its own sort of force of will mm. comes into being. Mm. And what I sort of hope is, although we can only sort of take three films through the scheme, you know, thanks to the support of BBC Films, because there are big partners on it, and Bristol City Council and all the other partners. What I hope is that the other three, that we can't take through for various reasons, have enough momentum and they do reach that point on the hill mm. so that they can actually get set up anyway. And of course, if it's 300 grand and it's all been designed from the ground up, 300 grand, they've got a much better chance of getting it set up in the market that's out there at the moment than something that's probably 3 million quid for a first-time director. Mm, sure. When were those three that finally get uh, selected? When did they go into production? Well, if we're looking to greenlight them in sort of late June, then obviously we hope that we get most of them through principal photography over the summer. I mean, there's a couple in there that actually do want to sort of shoot in the early autumn because it's quite sort of crucial to their sort of milieu. So I think you're going to sort of see a sort of period of probably six months' worth of production in the city. It's hard to tell at this point, but the idea is really that we'll have all of the three films finished for early 2011 mm. and then obviously we'll be looking at how we premiere those in the city and obviously mm. how they go into broader distribution I think the other great thing is that all of them have really taken on board this issue because I think there's a real problem sometimes with films is you have to go about collecting your audience very early on now I think with films because obviously you know it, it is a marketing issue and I think all of them are actually engaging with how they actually start to build an audience profile for their projects now mm -hmm. rather than just at the point at which they're finished films you mm -hmm. have to sort of do that and, and start not just simply websites but how you sort of get people really talking about the, the yeah. projects yeah. so that'll be rolling out as well so I think there's going to be a broader engagement outside with that audience particularly in the city and outside mm -hmm. over the next six to, to mm -hmm. eight months and how can um, audiences engage with that process if they want? I mean, we're planning a range of events, obviously, with yourselves. We're also with other institutions in the city like Norwest Media Centre and The Cube and places like that. But the first point where people can find out about this information is the website. It's www.ifeatures.co.uk. So all the events we're running are there. The blogging continues with these six teams because, again, they will be sort of communicating how they're getting on, their thoughts about it as we go through. There's a lot of training that we're doing and the workshops and the information around that are up being posted up on the website and there's also a community section so if audiences go to that website they'll really get a flavor they will they'll get a complete flavor and you know we're very open about these ones we're not sort of like most films are sort of like you know keeping it under the duvet as it were yeah. out of it. so we're very happy to share the filmmakers they know that's the deal they it's very you know, sharing the information early on there's a community site on the website so people can put postings of their own people also if they want to get involved or they want people to sort of look at them with a view to actually working on the films people can post their details. I mean, we can't promise anything, but all of the producers on the projects will be scanning those to see actually who's out there. Mm. So the idea is that, you know, the engagement really with the not only the filmmaking community in the city, but really with the audience in the city starts to really roll. Mm. Well, very much look forward to following the process and also seeing the results. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all about the films at the end yeah. of the day. So, um, you know, this is the bit where I get more nervous because, you know, <laughs> having, when you have 550 and you only need to green light three, you go, oh, I'll be all right. And of course, then 12, you go, that. And when you get to six, it actually becomes real. So the, because the, odds, like, the odds and the stakes come The odds and the stakes are more. So, you know, if you see me walking around town more sweating, <laughs> not just because of the summer coming, you'll know why. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, thanks very much. Pleasure.